The Business Buzz Podcast. The, the Business Buzz. Good day and welcome to the Business Buzz for your weekly dose of business, finance and economics news right here on VAWFM. That's the voice of Viz. We're broadcasting live from our studios right here in Bromfontein, Johannesburg. My name is Mbiwa Mob, Justice Kavaz, and I'll be your host uh, for today. Now, who's to say that the world of business can't be entertaining? Definitely make sure you hold on to your seats as we seek to keep you um, entertained, educated, and intrigued about the world of business. Now, for today... It is quite an interesting one. Uh, usually, you know, we, we, we tend to uh, focus a lot on what's going on uh, with consumers. And for today, we decided that, um, you know, what we're going to tackle is something that affects all of us, um, whether we are aware of it or not. And that is uh, the oil market, right? The price of oil, we always uh, hear about, uh, you know, the price of Brent crude has done this or it has done that. And in uh, April... Um, during the lockdown, we actually heard of some very interesting phenomena around uh, the oil price, particularly when it went quote-unquote negative and lots of people were saying it's because we were at home. So those are the things that we're going to be talking about. What actually happens with the oil price and also, you know, what are some of the issues uh, that actually affect um, what that market actually looks like. And to sort of help us uh, to navigate this topic, we're going to be talking to um, Sinesipo Manindra, who is a chartered accountant and financial news commentator. And then later on, we're going to speak to Petri Redling Hayes, um, who is a derivatives trader and uh, the founder of Herenia Capital. They're going to be letting us know what's what in the world of uh, the oil markets uh, from an analyst point of view and from an investor point of view. Also coming up for the next hour, we're going to be getting into the business wrap. That's a part of the show where we give you a roundup of the week's top trending business and economics news. And then we're going to be getting into uh, the Buffalo Index. That's when we tell you the state of your one. Rand. Now, remember that you can uh, keep in touch with us. We are Voice of Vits. Uh, that's of our FM 88.1 on Facebook. You can also find our other Facebook page that is the Vits Radio Academy. On Twitter, we're at VARFM. And then remember that our hashtag is hashtag business buzz. And remember that you can also stream the station live on VARFM.co.za. And remember that podcasts of the Business Buzz Show are available on vits.journalism.co.za forward slash business. You can also just search for us on some of the popular podcast apps. We are available on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts or wherever you choose to listen to your podcasts. Uh, you'll definitely find us there. So definitely make sure you hold on to your seats. Uh, we are here for the next hour. Coming up next, we're getting into the business wrap. Business wrap with Lebo Pasha. It's time for us to get into the business wrap. That's the part of the show where we give you a roundup of the week's top trending business and economics news. And on the line, we are joined by our financial expert. We have Lebo Pasha, who is the general manager for Southern Africa at the African Management Institute. Uh, Lebo, greetings to you. 99 days uh, into the lockdown. Greetings, Mudio, and greetings to the listeners as well. Um, 99 days, one more day to go, and we're hitting that magic 100-day mark. Mm. And now, now, I think, uh, you know, a good place to start as we, you know, approach that uh, 100-day milestone is that uh, the, the RAND has actually strengthened um, to below the 17, uh, the 17 mark, um, you know, the, it had been, you know, quite, um, you know, emblematic of the lockdown that the RAND actually weakened by a lot, you know. So what are you seeing on that front? So um, the RAND strengthened to under 17 RAND to the dollar on, on Thursday, yesterday, um, which is the best level in weeks. Like we've seen it. Um, hit lows of about 
um, there's some positive sort of expectations around um, a COVID-19 vaccine. And this has all um, resulted in a bit of confidence and a strengthening of the rand. And then I guess on top of all that, I also hear that uh, there are some mega projects uh, that are being planned as part of the economic uh, recovery. I personally haven't heard of this. You know, I'm, I'm quite keen to hear what what's actually happening. Well, um, for any economy to, to run and grow, we need infrastructure. And infrastructure projects have, have always helped company, have always helped countries um, weather the storm when it comes to um, recessions and economic difficulty. And we've got a couple of these really big mega projects that we're hoping will help get um, South Africa going again. And it's, it's a range of projects. Uh, projects from things like upgrades on the N3 in KZN, um, in the, uh, um, at the Ashburton Interchange, um, to even water projects. We've got a very large um, project in the Mukulu uh, Crocodile Water Augmentation uh, Project near Lipalele. Um, so all of these projects, we really desperately need them. These are multi-billion rand projects. Um, and um, the great thing about projects like this is they they do pull in those large corporates that need to start working again, but there's also a trickle-down effect to SMEs and also to communities in those areas that will get employment, and it does stimulate those local economies as well. So we definitely need to see a lot more of these type of projects, not just in Johannesburg, but across um, the length and breadth of South Africa. And some of the projects are much-needed infrastructure like water. We've got um, energy projects um, going on uh, in the Northern Cape. Um, like the um, Redstone Concentrated Solar Thermal Project. Um, we've also got uh, bigger projects around um, aviation. I'm not sure whether these will continue because of some of the strain um, that the, that industry is taking. But I think one of the most exciting ones is a, a space infrastructure hub. And this will definitely um, help encourage anybody who wants to be a future Elon Musk and and explore space and look at solutions in that sort of in that sort of industry. I guess as a follow up to that, do you anticipate that any of these projects uh, may be affected uh, by uh, the rising cases? It's no secret at the moment that there has been a spike in cases. Particularly, uh, the Western Cape has been a hot spot all along, but now Hauteng seems to be, you know, hot on those heels. And I'm guessing it's because, you know, of all the opening up. Some of these projects, do you anticipate that whatever timelines are there or, you know, their feasibility will be affected by um, these the spike in the, the cases? There'll, there'll definitely be an effect. I think almost all corporates in South Africa are either directly impacted at the revenue line um, where their customers are impacted or that business itself will be impact, impacted because... The people in the business are impacted, so the capacity to execute on projects will definitely be impacted as well. And you've also got other issues around specific industries. So, for example, um, the possible aviation park at the Uppington Airport um, or the Lancera Smart City, both of those are uh, based around aviation as an industry. And we all know um, the strife that SAA is going through and also Comair in South Africa right now, which is in business rescue. So those projects will definitely be impacted. Um, the extent to which they'll be impacted will only really know once um, the, we move to probably level one or we don't have lockdown anymore and we've got absolute free trade in the economy. And then we can really gauge the impact um, COVID-19 has had on these projects. And then on the last point, uh, you know, that unemployment number, I think a lot of people were quite shocked when uh, the minister say, was was rattling off some of the economic indicators last week in his supplementary budget speech. Can you, you know, maybe shed some light on this for us? Yes. So um, this news came out last week, but I think there's a lot of exciting things that are happening. We've seen a global trend where people who've been retrenched, um, laid off, people that have had their pay suspended, are actually starting up their own companies and offering services um, in their areas of expertise. So we've, been, we've seen a huge shift towards um, 
a big adoption of work from home or people consulting and micro jobbing and those sort of industries starting to pick up and um we're also seeing a few businesses that are looking at engaging uh people from across the globe to work remotely and you'd be sitting in South Africa and working for a business that's based either in the UK or somewhere else in the world so we're seeing a huge trend towards that um and i think one of the the things that definitely needs a lot of attention is looking at the youth because we've seen youth unemployment as well shooting up and we definitely need to start looking at solutions around how do we find um ways to engage the youth and get them economically active again so that's been it uh, with our financial expert that was uh, Lebo Pasha who is the general manager for Southern Africa at the African Management Institute just giving us a roundup of the week's top trending business and economics news uh, starting off talking about the fact that the rand has actually strengthened um, to being below that 17 to the dollar mark and then uh, talking about mega projects slated uh, to drive economic recovery in South Africa you know around infrastructure and uh, water projects which is very good for creating employment, um, especially because he ends off by highlighting the fact that uh, um, unemployment is now sitting at 30.1%, uh, but it does provide an opportunity for people that um, there's been a trend um, around the world where people are shifting towards uh, starting their own businesses, maybe getting into some freelancing as a way to make uh, ends meet. Uh, but he also just highlights the fact that um, even though you do have some of these mega projects uh, that are meant to, you know, get things going again, um, there might be an effect on uh, on on the feasibility and even the timelines of some of these projects, given uh, the increase in uh, COVID nineteen cases, which is currently being experienced in South Africa. So that's been it in terms of uh, the business wrap. Thank you so much to Lebo uh, for the for the weekly dose of business wisdom. After the break, we get into the Buffalo Index. Keep it locked. This is the Business Buzz. Business Rep with Lebo Pasha. The Buffalo Index on the Business Buzz. It's time for us to get into the state of your 100 Rand with our Buffalo Index. Uh, that's when we tell you what your 100 Rand can do for you. And since today we are talking about uh, the oil market, uh, especially in light of, uh, you know, the fuel price hike, um, we thought that uh, we'll tell you what your 100 Rand could do for you in the fuel market in April versus uh, what it's going to be able to do for you in uh, July. Now, in April, we saw we saw some uh, some very low uh, fuel prices, and uh, back then, um, with uh, 95 petrol, you could actually get about 7.16 liters of uh, 95 petrol uh, for your for your Buffalo. About 7.26 liters uh, for in terms of uh, the 93 petrol, and then a 0.5 percent, 0.05 percent diesel. Sorry, um, was coming. In, uh, for about 7.8 liters and then uh, illuminating paraffin you could get yourself about 14.8 liters um, in the market in April for your buffalo but now because prices have go- are going up you can only get 6.6 liters uh, for the buffalo on the 95 side and then you can now get uh, about 6.74 liters uh, for the 95 about uh, 7.6 liters in terms of the 0.05 percent D and then uh, illuminating paraffin uh, you can now get about uh, 14.2 liters for your buffalo to sort of add some context into what some of that means if you drove or drive a normal little car sort of uh, i'm thinking a toyota yaris or something like that um and or a polo that's usually between about uh, you know 35 to 40 liters and uh, 35 liters it means that in april um you could get about uh, you know 481 um rand for for 93 uh, that's how much uh, that's how much it would take to fill up that tank but now to fill up the same tank is going to cost you about uh, you know 50 rand 
more at close to 530 rand. So that's what your Buffalo is looking like. That's what uh, your Buffalo can get you in the fuel market. You know, if you are lucky enough uh, to do it before, you know, the price hike, you know, then good for you. But otherwise, uh, for everyone else, we'll just be contending. The other interesting thing to note is that uh, as prices are creeping up, they're slowly but surely um, sort of inching up to where they were um, in March, you know, because in March they were actually much higher than uh, where yeah, they were a little bit higher than where they are currently, uh, but slowly but surely they are getting there. So that's it in terms of the Buffalo Index. On the other side of this, we get into the main topic. The Buffalo Index on the Business Buzz. For the youth, by the youth, we are Power FM. Power FM. 88.1. You're tuned in to the Business Buzz. Welcome back to the Business Buzz. It's time for us to get into the main topic for today's show. And uh, for today, we're going to be talking about something that, uh, you know, we hear and see being quoted all the time. That's the oil price. Uh, but it's something that is re- that really does affect uh, all of our lives in one way or another. We might not realize it. You might not even be a driver of a car. But, uh, you know, the oil price around the world does affect uh, all of our lives at least economically in one way or another so if you want to join the conversation around this uh, remember that you can find us on facebook we have our fm that's voice of vits you can also find our other facebook page that is the vits radio academy and then on twitter we're at uh Vow fm and our hashtag is hashtag business buzz so to start off, uh, we're going to be talking to uh, Petri Redling Hayes, uh, who is the founder of uh, Herenia Capital, uh, uh, Capital, and also a derivatives trader, and he's going to be explaining to us what actually goes on in this market and to sort of help uh, unpack it for us. Uh, Petri, greetings to you. Greetings. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the opportunity. No, 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 no. Thank you for 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 taking your time to be with us. Um, I guess as a good, as a starting point, you know, could you explain to us, uh, you know, how um, the oil market actually works and how it's actually, you know, set? Like, is it free market forces? Is there a mafia, or uh, you know, that's there, you know, setting this thing for us? Like, how does it actually work? So there is a bit of a mafia, I suppose. <laughs> They're called OPEC, the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries. Um, They're basically like a group of countries that are the major oil producers of the world. And what they do, uh, they call themselves a cartel or the, the um, you know, uh, the OPEC cartel or whatever you want to call them. I think it's Organization of Petroleum Exporting Cartel or Countries or whatever. I'm not sure what the C stands for. But, um, you know, as far as we're, we're taught... Uh, and see, cartels aren't exactly the nicest things. Governments are generally against them. But when a whole bunch of governments band together to form one, I, I guess it's okay because it's just how it's been for the last, you know, who knows how many years. Um, in any case, what they tend to do, um, obviously they're not the only oil producers, but they are collectively the majority, uh, you know, the, the major oil producers, the guys that make the most oil in the world. Um, and what they do is they try to control or influence the price of oil by um, adjusting how much oil they produce. So they do like coordinated um, production cuts or production increases in oil so that they can either supply more oil to the market and, you know, put a cap on prices or, you know, uh, create a bit of a shortage in oil and thus, you know, push the price up. Um, But, you know, outside of that, Generally, it's free market forces. So when, um, you know, economic times are good and people expect the economy, the economy to grow, the oil price tends to rise uh, because they're anticipating higher demand for oil as the world economy expands and continues to grow. And uh, as we've seen now with, uh, with the COVID pandemic, when, uh, you know, demand suddenly drops, <laughs> the, the oil price comes down with it and then there's an oversupply in the market and then OPEC will make a lot of noise and cut supply to try and, uh, you know, do coordinated cuts. Every person or every country in OPEC has to cut 5% or 2% or whatever of their world production uh, on a daily basis in order to try and dry up the supply in the market so that they can uh, put a floor on prices and then make sure the prices don't fall, you know, down to 
to, to prices so low that they can't make money anymore. So it's a bit of a, it is quite a complicated uh, picture where you have a combination of, you know, free market supply and demand dynamic, but you also have this organization uh, of petroleum exporting countries that, uh, you know, try to influence the world price by basically controlling how much the countries in their organization uh, produce. Um, and that way, so controlling the supply side of the market, if that makes sense. Um, now, Petri, there are a couple of uh, variations that we hear being reported about. Usually we hear about, uh, you know, Brent crude. Um, I think, you know, in some of my personal reading, I think there's NYMEX and a bunch of others, you know. Uh, what is the actual difference between these and why is it that we always quote uh, the Brent? So Brent crude is, um, it depends on where it's traded, right? So you get Brent crude, you get NYMEX crude, um, and you get WTI, right? WTI crude. So uh, basically Brent crude is uh, traded in London. Um, so that is a futures uh, sort of price on London. So let me explain this first. So oil is generally, because it takes very long to produce, right? Um the, the, if you were to, you know, you can't, there's no mall that you can go to and buy oil, right? So you have to order it um, and it's sort of bumped out the ground and then refined and put through a whole bunch of processes. And by the time it reaches you, um, you know, a few months have passed from the point that it gets bumped out of wherever it gets bumped out of, whether it's an ocean rig or, or out of the ground in the desert somewhere or whatever the case is. So people then buy futures contracts for delivery at some point in the future. I think. Uh, I'm not sure how familiar your, your, your listeners would be with, with what a futures contract is. It's basically, it's when you buy something today at a price set today for delivery at some point in future, right? Um, so those are the contracts, those are the prices that get quoted on the news all the time, the oil futures contract prices. So what happens is, um, depending on where the oil is produced and where it is traded, is determining, you know, what determines what the name of the contract is. So the Brent crude oil price is predominantly oil produced by OPEC and traded on the London Futures Exchange, right? Uh, as where West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil, or WTI, is oil that is produced in the United States and traded in the United States. So there's a difference in price there. The West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil is generally cheaper than the Brent crude oil simply because... In America, it's produced there, and there's a lot of less transportation cost involved with that. As where Brent crude oil is produced in, like Saudi Arabia, for example, uh, and the transportation cost is is generally higher to get it to to the United States, right? Um, and then NYMEX crude is also just crude that's traded on a different exchange in uh, in, in the in the US. I guess the next question, because of the way that you've described it, is, you know, for some of our more enterprising um, listeners who might be, you know, thinking of uh, somewhere to put their money and they would like to get into um, the actual market and, you know, perhaps um, trade, whether that's NYMEX, WTI or Brent, how can someone actually get into um, oil investing, like what type of products? Like, is there a broker? Is there a guy at a corner somewhere that you give money and then they buy you oil? Like, how does that actually happen? So it depends on what your um, what your objective is, right? If you want to trade, um, as in short-term buying and selling or speculating in oil price movements, so you're trying to make money off short-term fluctuations of the price going up and down, then you would use... A derivative of sorts so you would either buy buy and sell oil futures or you would um, buy and sell like a cfd on the oil price um, and you could do that any number of different ways you know trading platforms generally have an oil contract that you can trade um, and you know holding the contract charges you interest the longer you hold it that kind of thing because the, the idea is really to buy and sell the stuff on a regular basis right and to make profit from uh, the, the fluctuations in price. So this is where the futures price and the the, the, the the contracts that we quote, a lot of people trade those contracts, right? They tend to be really, really big contracts. So uh, it's not necessarily very easy for people to get into those. I think some of the smaller oil contracts available to, to uh, via South African brokers is like $40,000 a contract, right? So they're generally rather big. Um, for somebody who wants to invest in oil, uh, the better way to do that is perhaps using something like an ETF. Uh, so the ETF is an exchange-traded fund, 
and that fund is then invested in oil futures contracts, right? But those you can hold for a long period of time. So there's a number of the there's a number of different ones. I think it's called SBA Oil uh, is a is an ETN actually. So ETF ETN same same different name, um, but basically that holds underlying oil futures contracts, and then you can invest in that and hold it for the next ten or twenty years um, as an investment, right? Um, as we couldn't really hold a futures contract as an investment because at some point it expires and then somebody phones you up and says, cool, where do we deliver your oil, <laughs> right? So um, the ETF is probably, or the ETN, is probably the better way um, to invest in that. And there's one listed on, on the JSC, obviously, so you can buy that through uh, an ETF account or a normal stockbroking account or through someone like ETFSA or whatever the case is, save into it every month. Um, alternatively, if you want to trade, you can then um, you know, either use a local sort of trading account that has uh, uh, oil derivative on it, or you can do an offshore trading account and trade like the real deal oil futures in London. Um, on that, actually, as someone who is familiar with the markets, um, you know, we'd be keen to understand um, or at least get your take on, um, you know, I guess the different market structures because, um, the RAND, for example, you know, currencies are constantly fluctuating. They don't switch off. Um, stock exchanges, you know, you trade between um, certain hours of the day, like the JSC, I think is from 9 until like 5 or something like that, um, on a daily basis, then you wait for the next day for things to happen. And then at the same time, you have uh, the OPEC situation that you described for us at the beginning, where you have a quote-unquote cartel of countries that are there setting the prices. Um, which of these markets or systems or structures, whatever, do you think is perhaps you know i guess more efficient uh or you know just just drawing parallels between them so our market is obviously a lot smaller than the rest of the world um particularly when you compare us to places like the uk or london europe um or the united states right um so that's the primary reason why our market sort of opens at nine and closes at five as we're somewhere in the u.s for example there's a there's a pre-market period that lasts a few hours there's a aftermarket period that lasts a few hours, and then there's obviously the time that the market is open. Uh, and then with futures contracts in the US uh, and in, in, in uh, Europe, you have 24-hour markets on futures. So they don't close, right? So the oil, Brent crude oil contract, for example, doesn't close. That trades Monday to Friday, 24 hours a day. It's only closed over the weekends. Um, as we're in South Africa, because our market is not as big and there's just not as much liquidity, not as many people trading, you know, we have to close the market, otherwise nobody's going to be trading at 8 o'clock tonight. But people trading oil, for example, are trading oil in London from all over the world. So because there's so many different time zones interacting with the same market, you can have a 24-hour market. So again, it depends on, um, you know, to, to take money offshore and to, to invest or to trade in, in oil contracts on the, on the London Stock Exchange is you know a very onerous task and you generally need quite a bit of money to do that so the easiest way for south africans who don't have fifty thousand dollars or hundred thousand dollars to to trade oil contracts within london um can do that by trading sort of a local uh, etf on this thing which is then trades monday to friday eight to five right or nine to five so it really depends on uh i don't think it's quite as, as much a question of like What's the most efficient way of doing it? But really, what's the way that you that's most you know best suited to you and where you are in your in your journey as an investor, if I can say that? I guess now bringing it uh, back down to I guess ordinary life, every day, day to day life, people that are at the pump, whatever it is, um, where do you see um, I guess the oil market or the oil price going? Um, you know, for the rest of the year, it did some interesting things during the. Uh, during the more stricter lockdowns, uh, but now it seems to have, uh, you know, rebounded. Do you sort of see it going back down or do you see it um, perhaps having stabilized or is it going to go up? I think it's going to go up, to tell you the truth. Um, but before before I get into that, I just want to sort of go back to, to what you were talking about in the intro, the, how the oil price touches all of our lives in some way or another, right? We might not be directly invested in oil or trading it, but we have to remember that 
you know, from oil you make petrol, and petrol is used to transport many of the goods that we eat every day, for example, or the clothing that we wear. All this stuff is somehow transported um, from wherever it is produced to wherever it is sold, and then, you know, to wherever it is consumed. Um, and therefore, the oil price has a direct impact on inflation, right? So we see a couple of things. Uh, when the rand gets stronger, the rand price of oil gets cheaper. But when the rand weakens, the rand price of oil gets more expensive. And that is then, um, so then you can also overlay the actual oil price movement on that. And then you've got two forces that now influence inflation because, you know, getting the, uh, you know, getting bread, for example, to the, to the store, it has to be transported from somewhere. And that transportation cost goes up and down depending on what the petrol price is doing. That's being influenced by both the rand and the oil price. <laughs> so it, it does it really, truly impact every single one of us. Right, um, in some way, shape, or form. Um, and then, in terms of like, wh what do I think is going to happen to the world price? So there's a, there's a number of it's quite a complicated answer. To this, so I think the world price goes up from here, um, not you know very very quickly. It doesn't go straight to eighty in the next couple of days. But what's been happening is oil to to start an oil rig or to, to build an oil rig takes five to seven years. Right, I mean, these offshore oil rigs are massive. I mean, they're huge. They're, they're like skyscrapers, basically. So to build one of these things takes a very long time and is a huge investment. So what we've seen is that about five years ago, um, new investments into new oil projects kind of stopped, right? Not completely, but was significantly lower than it had been in the previous, in the period leading up to that. So it's like this cycle, right? So there's a lot of oil investment, and then there's too much sort of production, so nobody invests in, in, in new projects anymore. And then there's a shortage in the market, so lots of people invest in the uh, uh, in oil projects. And then there's a surplus, and this is like this long sort of economic cycle that, that takes place. I'm sure the economic students would have learned about this, right? Uh, um, so about five years ago, we saw the, the last major investments into new oil projects was about five years ago, which means that those projects that were invested in then are only going to start coming online sort of now, right? And then there's no new uh, no new investments since then, which means that the projects that were invested in then are going to come online now, and then there's no new projects coming on online. But on a global scale, the demand for oil is only going to increase over the next sort of two to three decades because electronic vehicles are coming, yes, but they're still just a small fraction of the market. And, you know, more than just cars run on, on, on oil. There's airplanes, boats, and all sorts of stuff, right? So, um, I mean, in our case, sometimes, you know, power stations. <laughs> but um, it's uh, so what I think sort of happens, or some of the research that we've done, sort of indicates that we may be moving into a space where over the next two to five years, we have a structural shortage in oil output. So there's just not going to be enough oil for the amount of economic activity that there is. And that, in turn, will push up the price of oil. And as the price of oil goes up, you know, we'll see people going, well, there's a lot of money to be made. Let's invest in some oil projects. But then five to seven years later, only does that supply, that new supply, come online. So I think that we go into a sort of structural bull market in the oil price based on the fact that there's going to be a shortage in, in supply, right? And yes, during COVID, the oil price absolutely tanked. But for the most part, that was because there was just this global shutdown and a very, very sudden demand-side shock where demand just disappeared. And that kind of, you know, takes your eye off the ball and is a bit of a distraction, if you will. But, you know, it doesn't change the fact that once the world starts coming out of lockdown and starts recovering from COVID, there's still this structural shortage in the in the oil market that's looming that's like a year or two away, right? So I think based on that, it's a pretty good time to get invested in oil. 
So that's been it. Uh, we were in conversation with uh, Petri Redling Hayes, who is the founder of Hyrenia Capital and a der- derivatives trader. Uh, just running us through what actually makes up uh, the oil market, letting us know about uh, the cartel called OPEC. Uh, that is the Organization of Petroleum um, Petroleum. I, Petroleum exporting countries. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, that, that, that's what, that's what it stands for. Uh, talking about how they actually help to set the price, uh, for oil and that it's not necessarily, um, you know, just a free market. Also telling us about, uh, um, how the oil price is actually set and how we see different oil prices being quoted and also giving us some options around how to actually get into oil trading. Uh, but he's just highlighting the fact that there is quite a high barrier of entry uh, for the normal person. Ending off just talking about the fact that he thinks that uh, we're likely to see oil going up and that uh, at least, uh, you know, in the coming future, uh, there's going to be an increased demand which will, you know, likely drive up um, the price, perhaps not overnight, uh, but at least, you know, over some time, especially as the world's population grows and, you know, we need more, you know, products being sold, manufactured because um, all of this stuff you know, goods and services need to be transported in one way or another. So it is affecting all of our lives. So that's been it on the other side of this. We're going to be getting an analyst perspective um, just around this. So keep it locked. This is the Business Buzz. Forget what the little buddy told you. Follow us, follow us, follow us at BoFM and join the conversation. Mock Justice on the Business Buzz. Welcome back to the Business Buzz. We are talking about uh, the all-important oil markets. Uh, it's one of those products that is, uh, you know, affects all of us since we have to get from A to B. And uh, right now, we just want to get an analyst's uh, perspective of, uh, you know, the oil markets so that we can better understand um, what's going on in and around this very important topic. Remember that you can keep in touch with us on social media. That's voice. That's VowFM or Voice of Vits. And then on our other Facebook page that is the Vitz Radio Academy. On Twitter we're at VFM and then our hashtag is hashtag business buzz. So to sort of help us, uh, you know, navigate um, what, uh, you know, the analysts actually look at when it comes to um, the oil markets, we are joined by Sinesipo Maninjwa who is a chartered accountant and a financial news commentator. Sinesipo, greetings to you. Hi, how are you today? No, 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 we're doing all right. We're doing all right. Um, I think one of the most interesting things to have happened during the lockdown was uh, these uh, negative uh, oil prices that, uh, you know, I said to have happened. Uh, could you perhaps please take us uh, through um, that particular oil market crash and uh, perhaps some of the reasons around what actually caused it? Um, uh, I'm just going to do a slight correction. So it wasn't an oil price crash. It was an oil futures market crash. So um, if you, I'm just 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 explain to people for just people to understand what it actually is. Um, you get what you would call um, futures, and the oil market crash happened on the US WIC. Texas uh, Intermediary Crude Futures. It's the largest um, crude future market uh, globally. And what happened was that, so how futures work, just give you context. So because oil is a live commodity, what usually happens is that you usually um, you usually make, um, you sort of agree to buy or sell at a specific date in three months. They usually do these uh, contracts in rolling three-month periods. In rolling three-month periods. And what happened is, if you looked at the outlook of January, January is when you would have entered into the the, the contract, the oil contract future. And you, at January, uh, the, the price of oil was hovering around uh, $55, $60 around there. So you could, you could take a bet that in April, which is when the future is expired, that the price would be looking at a particular way. You could, you could, without a doubt, take a bet. Now, of course, February, the impact of COVID hits us queer in the face. 
And with the lockdown, a global lockdown, what happened was that everyone was overstocked. And uh, the overstock was as a result of the fact that uh, airlines were closed, um, factories were closed. So no one was, there was no need for oil. So what happened was that it got so bad that in a sense, the oil producers had to effectively how the contract was so negative that they effectively had to pay people to take their product. And it happened. So that happened in April, May. Now, if you look at the contracts that are closing now in June, they all they're not negative as bad because of two factors. One, uh, the producers of oil have um, agreed to reduce supply in the market, reduce production in the market to adjust uh, for the new world in order to uh, drive up demand. And with some of the world slowly reopening, not all the way 100% reopening, um, uh, there hasn't been a need uh, to, for the, um, the, it has rallied uh, oil prices uh, a little bit, but still nowhere near where they were in January. So that's, in a sense, what happened. I guess, the, the you know, the next question, which sort of makes sense from then is, was, did this actual crash in these oil futures actually affect um, any industries, you know, sort of given the fact that um, at the time people were at home, there wasn't that much travel. Um, so on the direct side, um, you know, one wouldn't expect. But I guess, you know, from a broader point of view, um, were there industries that were actually affected by what happened, um, you know, when that crash happened? Um, so you've got a, you've got, the oil price is sort of a double-edged sword. On one hand, you want it's an indicate you want it to go up, but you don't want to get it too high. Reason being is that oil is a function of productivity, global productivity in the market. It means that industry is moving and we are building more cities, we're traveling more. That's what it's an indicator of. Now, the industries that were affected by this were quite simple. Those were your chemical and specifically petrochem, as well as your uh, commodity entities, such as your likes of Battle here locally, Chevron, uh, Shell, and BP, because effectively, um, with the price of oil having come down so significantly, your operating cost to run your business still does not change. So fundamentally, it's, it's, like I said, it's a double-edged sword if you look at it. And then, and then I guess then from there, what is now the outlook? As you were talking earlier on, you know, things seem to have, uh, you know, kind of normalized and life as we start, you know, opening up a little bit more, um, things are sort of, you know, going back to normal. But for sort of the people in the market, investors, etc., um, what is the actual outlook? Uh, we've seen some volatility, you know, sasso, things like that. So, um, where do you see see all of that going? Um, so, it depends on the COVID pandemic. So, it's stabilized a little bit. Like I said, it's still nowhere in January level supply. It's still very much quite high and demand just has not picked up to where it needs to be. Because as we have more spikes, the more um, uh, sovereigns are under pressure to go back to a harder form of a lockdown and uh, to control the virus because in effect, you can't control. Um, yeah, so it, 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 it's tightening. The third the issue is coronavirus. It literally is coronavirus. And you've got, um, um, the, we're still very much in the first peak. So unless we get a handle on that, we're nowhere, we're nowhere going back to active living. Yes, lockdown has eased, but that has been driven more of from uh, the citizens are poorer phase and they're starving. So either the virus will kill them or lack of food will. So that's what's been driving the lockdown, uh, relaxation of the lockdown globally. Not necessarily that the disease is getting under control. We're still seeing crazy numbers in the US, crazy numbers in Europe, um, Asia, South America, specifically Brazil, crazy, crazy, crazy numbers. And that's just function of it is that um, people are, are sort of being made to make a hard choice. You can lock down the country 
and get a hold of corona, but then people will starve. Or you can reopen, except that people will be eating at least, but corona, still, it, it, it's a double-edged sword. So until we get sight of what would happen, specifically with corona, um, I don't see it uh, changing anytime soon. The outlook, like I said, it's constrained. We have a constrained outlook. And then the other question to then ask, um, because during the the lockdown period, especially uh, when we're still, you know, in the stricter level five and four, um, people are hardly using their cars. We saw prices dropping for fuel, I think by about 25%. I myself, you know, was experiencing living my best life at the pump. Uh, but, uh, you know, in the, ever since then, you know, prices have been creeping up. And we know that uh, the petrol price is actually set to increase by about uh, 1 rand 72 cents um in the in the you know in the near future so what type of relationships you know for for um for our listeners benefit actually exists uh between what happens in those oil markets versus the actual petrol price that we as consumers actually end up getting at the pump um so for just just to give you a context um the little demand we see in our little southie country has really no effect on the oil price so there are two things that primarily affect the, the oil price, global demand and global supply. And for us, Africa, the Rand dollar exchange. That is where the primary gain. So you had two things happen which allowed for the first price um, increase, decrease, I mean, in the South African market specifically. You had, number one, global demand. Prices went down to, I think they were trading at some 20-something US dollars. So that allowed the price decrease, even though the rand has um, rand had increased. Now you've got oil, which is back at semi 40, 40 US dollars, and you still have the rand dollar exchange. So that's why the price is having to come up a bit. But it's still you are still effectively paying less for petrol today than you are paying than you were paying for in January, and that's just the that's the, just the power of it. If the rand dollar were to behave. Uh, we would be seeing another cut, but our rand dollar doesn't want to behave. So that's also a primary factor. I think I think we sometimes forget. Um, we think Africa moves and shakes um, global commodities. That's really not the case, specifically when it comes to other commodities, but not oil. Because the- effectively, remember, we import it. We're an importer of oil. We don't produce it. We're an importer. Very much understood on that side of uh, being an importer of oil and that uh, currency exchange rates. So as we end off, um, I guess what's your outlook for for oil at the moment? Um, could we, you know, perhaps um, see prices doubling? Could we just see slow progression? Uh, where do you see things going? price stabilizing i think we won't get to as bad as it was in march april because i think that was a bit of a shock to the system but i don't see us doubling i'm quoting a city bank analyst they were like the days of a hundred us dollar a barrel are gone those days are gone we must forget those days have existed so that's not going to happen but we i think i see it stabilizing more but if we enter into another if we enter a second wave of a global uh, lockdown, we might be saying a different sentence altogether. So you heard it right there. That was us with uh, Sinesipo Maninjwa uh, just explaining to us, uh, you know, the oil markets and some of the reasons why um, we heard about uh, uh, the oil price becoming negative. Just explaining at the beginning that it wasn't necessarily an oil price crash, but rather uh, what was going in the oil futures markets, um, you know, where people were sort of uh, trying to think of what was going to happen, you know, down the line and just explaining as well. Um, what actually happens when South Africa gets oil um, internationally because it's more, she's saying it's more of a function of um, where the rand dollar exchange rate is sitting because um, South Africa is not an oil producer. We are a country that actually imports um, its oil. So uh, where the 
where the rand dollar exchange rate actually sits um affects where you know where local prices are going to be um on the pump side otherwise she's just uh, also ending off by saying that uh, prices seem to uh she's expecting that things are just going to stabilize where they are uh, the days of 100 100 uh, dollars uh, for a barrel of oil those days are gone so that's been it thank you so much uh, to senior people for just explaining that to us on the other side of this we come to the end of the show keep it locked this is the business buzz Voice of Vits has signed a code of conduct that is enforced by the Broadcasting Complaints Commission of South Africa. Under the code, we are committed to broadcasting news that is accurate, comment that is fair, and programming that is not harmful to children, does not amount to hate speech, and contains no gratuitous violence or explicit sex. If you think we are not living up to the code, you may inform the Broadcasting Complaints Commission of South Africa. Direct any complaints in writing to BCCSA, PO Box 412365, Craig Hall 2024, or send a fax to 011-325-5376 or an email to bccsa at nabsa.co.za For more information, please visit www.bccsa.co.za You're tuned in to the Business Buzz. Thank you so much to everyone who has listened to the show. We've come to the end of uh, today's um, edition of the Business Buzz. Uh, thank you so much to our guests, that was Asina Sipo and Petri, for just shedding some light on what the oil market is about and how all of that actually translates into some of the fuel prices that we are all getting at uh, the pump. Also just highlighting the fact that Oil is one of those things that is affecting all of us. And the fact that uh, transport is one of those essential things, moving goods and people all over the place, the oil price is definitely one of those things that is affecting all of us. Now, personally, I, I tend to agree um, with Petri on this that, uh, you know, we might see uh, the oil price rising over time, especially over a long term. For the rest of this year, who knows where that demand is going to go, particularly uh, given the uncertainty around the actual recovery and where the, you know, the opening up is going to allow for demand to come back to where it was at the start of the year. But as people, you know, go back to work, everyone is trying to get back uh, to normal. So that might be a contributing factor on that end. Otherwise, over time, we are likely to see uh, things going up. But this is where uh, Senior Sipo's point really does come to the fore that we are unlikely to see oil touching that old hundred dollar price going forward also just highlighting the fact that uh, you know the markets work in different ways uh, the rand for example is subject to free market um, in the same way that uh, the JSC and other stock exchanges you know it's it's a it's a buy and sell you're thinking about what's going to happen whereas the oil markets on the other hand you have a small group of countries that are sitting there and actually deciding how they can exploit uh, the supply and demand factors to actually influence the price so that that's been it for today. Remember that you can engage with us. Let us know what you think on social media. We are Vow FM Voice of Vits on Facebook, and then our other page is Vits Radio Academy. On Twitter, we're at Vow FM, and our hashtag is hashtag Business Buzz. Remember that you can also search for us on iono.fm for our podcast and links all of them. You can find them there, and then you can also find our other podcasts and content on vits.journalism.co.za/business. So. That's it. Thank you to everyone who was listening today. Uh, thank you to our amazing team. Our producer is our technical producer, sorry, together with our executive producer, that is Glory Mabuza. Our producer is Selindele Musibi. So don't miss the business bar, same time, same place next week for more insight into the world of business. Don't turn that down. There's more great content coming up on the VAU FM lineup. So for myself, Mdeo Mob Justice Gavaza, and the rest of the team it is take care more justice on the business bars the business bars podcast